Hello, this is the Landscape Ontario podcast. My name is Scott Barber. Thank you so much for listening. Alan White is our guest today. He is incredibly passionate about the power of plants to clean the air we breathe, cool our cities, capture carbon. As Alan says, plants are the lungs of our cities and landscape horticulture professionals are critical to climate change mitigation and adaptation. Alan's the president and CEO of Turf Systems in Burlington, Ontario, and he's been championing this message for years as a director on Landscape Ontario's board, as the chair of the Canadian Nursery Landscape Association's Climate Change Adaptation Committee, and as the chair of the Green Cities Foundation. We invited Alan on the show today to discuss why now is the time to capture the attention of public policymakers, governments, and most importantly, the general public to ensure that they recognize the value of what we do as professionals growing, designing, building, and maintaining green spaces. Our conversation is coming up next. Alan, thank you for joining me. We've been talking about this for a while, getting you in to talk about climate change. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks a lot, Scott, for having uh, having me here. As, as you know, it's a past, passionate subject for myself and those working with me. Absolutely. So I'm going to just dive right in. We got a big topic, a really important one, obviously. Uh, we've been talking about this, like I mentioned, for a long time, and, and you have um, put a lot of thought into this in terms of the connection between our profession, landscaping and horticulture, and climate change mitigation and adaptation. Can you give uh, a bit of an overview for our listeners on, you know, what that connection is and why it's so important for our future of our of our profession? Yeah, I think for the most part, it was seeing an opportunity in what I believed in, what I've heard for decades from our members uh, around their passion towards plants and landscapes. But also being a passionate listener of the news, which is usually where opportunities and, and uh, new ideas are born from, to understand where the public's at. For the last couple of decades, the core story around climate mitigation has been our ability to manage our carbon footprint. Um, the story has grown and has been founded in, within the, the carbon equation. Um, and emission, the emission side has been the predominant piece of it. At being a plant... Um, provider, plant protection provider, looking after nurturance, um, water, and the ability of the plants being in the right place, the right scene, surviving within urban environments, I understand at a fundamental level where where plants intercept and have always been at the core of intercepting carbon within our cities. So hearing the stories in the news and hearing all the, the sky is falling around um, climate change, our ability to mitigate that climate change and how we adapt to that climate change, it was born out of a curiosity as why plants aren't part of this conversation, but now it's being driven by an opportunity to ensure that plants are at the core of this conversation and balancing the equation that it does have uh, a carbon capture side as well as an emission side to equal whatever net zero is to balance out the impact our cities are having, not just in our populations and not just on the planet, but really the environments that we're living in. Why do you think plants weren't or haven't been as much part of this conversation in the past? I think a lot of it has to do with it's it's just something that we learned in grade nine or ten science and as we, we advance our knowledge, we advance our 
our technologies and our engineering and the way we design and build things and solve problems, we look for complex solutions. And when you have a conversation with someone about where clean air comes from and what supports the entire mechanism of, of where oxygen production comes from and it's, it's, it resides within plants, people look at you with kind of a uh, astonished look that I knew that, but it wasn't so much I forgot it, I just never applied it to this, this conversation or this, this problem solving. Um, and they're always a little bit, I think, humbled by the fact that when you ask them where clean air comes from and you suggest it's born from carbon, they all kind of have that, again, puzzled look and solution of, okay, you caught my, you caught my curiosity, now what can I do with it? Right, right. So, you know, a lot of people, hopefully, you know, understand the power that plants have to sequester carbon, clean the air, cool the air. Can you, can you talk about some of those things um, and why, you know, why are, why is horticulture and landscaping so valuable to this conversation? Well, I think it's something that everybody can participate in. Individually, plants, yes, have uh, their own characteristics of, of how they move that process naturally. It doesn't matter if it's turf grass, the flowers in your garden, a tomato plant on your balcony or a tree. All of them metabolize carbon the exact same way. They all, through the absorption of sunlight and support of water and nutrients, convert sunlight through the absorption of carbon um, and photosynthesis into pure oxygen, which also, along with all the other things, is filtering out of our environment, uh, contributing to a positive air quality, but is doing it in areas where our carbon levels are at the highest. So while it may be arguably not that consequential on a planetary basis, it is incredibly consequential in a closed environment like an urban city where the greenhouse effect so often takes effect in, in the middle of summertime. It even happens within the wintertime where we see drastic temperature changes between an urban environment and a completely natural environment. As soon as that process starts to t take hold, then the air mixing, the greenhouse effect starts to kick in and the carbon levels within the greenhouse effect start to increase exponentially as it heats up. And as our movement and all of our carbon systems support that environment, it's critically important that individual plants and the collective of all plants, whether it's public space or private space, vertical space, green roofs, walls, balconies, living rooms, mm -hmm. they all will arguably have a way greater impact within the greenhouse effect than external to the greenhouse effect. And arguably, if we can change the environments within our cities, which will impact our population the most, where in Canada's case, more than 80% of our, our population lives in cities, if we can change that equation in Canadian cities, imagine the power that can have in way higher populated places in the world that, again, collectively are having an impact on our planet. But if we don't change the story within our cities, we are not going to, I believe, have the results that we're looking for as a, as a planet as a whole. So how do we get there? You know, how do we get that, the, these horticultural solutions in the conversation? That's the big question. That's the one that I've been engaged in for more than a, almost two decades. Um, a big part of what I learned early on in business is, one, you need to be unique in what it is that you're bringing to the marketplace. You need to have a solution to a story that is, is uniquely yours and allows you to rally around it and make a difference. But you also need to be able to measure that. 
you have to quantify what it is you want to change and then through that quantification build the power of participation so again part of the journey is from a trade perspective is we have an incredible network uh, of passionate people both from the business side of it but also if you think about Canada wide the 4,000 members that make up CNLA and the more, more than half that reside here in Ontario's membership but then the more than quarter of a million people that work within the sector who passionately get up every morning to make a difference and, and to change the urban environment and then the millions of clients that those people that are passionate service because they have a want or a need uh, mostly because it makes them feel good but I believe there's more power in in their ability or if we can change the belief in how they can change their own environment. So plants at an individual level um, can have that level of participation where most of the other things like climate adaptation or mitigation are really at a global level where we need to change our power grids or how we transport people around or how we build our buildings, how we produce products and services that we all consume. Very few of them have a positive effect that we can all participate in. So one of the goals through my growth and participation here at Landscape Ontario, but at the national level with CNLA, and on the global level with AIPH, the International Growers, ALCA, uh, the European Landscape Contractors Association, IGCA, which is the International Garden Centers Association, um, the World Expos, and now most recently participating at the COP summits, both from biodiversity summits and the climate summits in Glasgow, uh, and most recently in Egypt, is being part of that bigger story while finding ways to bring it back to our members and to the people. So out of all of that, we've created the Green City Foundation. The Green City Foundation is an arm's length foundation with a mission to connect plants and people for a greener, healthier urban climate. That connection of plants and people starts with their ability at an individual level and a collective through the projects. The projects that Green City uh, Foundation engages in are community-based in nature, public-facing in nature, that really empower the people of that community to participate alongside professionals to make a difference in the community. The bigger part of the Green City Foundation is to allow individuals, through the creation of a clean air or the carbon calculator that allows us from a global satellite to measure incremental differences that plants, shrubs, understory landscape and grass and open green spaces contribute to private and public space. And again, looking at it on an individual basis, but also taking the individual basis of participation and committing to that mission, to what does the collective look like? Collective in a community, collective in a city, province, or a country. And also building partners around the world that believe in the same story, the same mission, the same tool, and the same measurements, so that we start to get to the point where we have measurables that we can set goals to, understand, influence, and ultimately change. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, listeners, hopefully they saw some of the things we published in our, in our magazines, Landscape Ontario and Landscape Trades Magazine, about the carbon calculator that you mentioned that's in development that is, is extremely interesting as a way for, as you said, uh, members, you know, professionals in, in, um, in Canada and abroad to 
as well as their clients, regular people, mm-hmm. um, you know, a homeowner, their kids, to be able to see the impact that they make by by you know what what is their yard, what is their lawn, what is their the trees and shrubs in their backyard produce, and it, hopefully it's a way for people to be hopeful about the future and and understand that there are things you can do to make a positive difference. Mm-hmm. Well, it allows them on that incremental basis to understand what their engagement's doing. And a little bit, part of the, the goal that the calculator and the foundation is to build those communities so it really creates the power of influence. And we're, we're gonna lean on the membership nationwide and here in Ontario to how does a landscape contractor and their activity and their community and the amount of projects that they care, nurture, grow and develop and build, how do all of those points of contact, what does it look like as a collective? What are our 20 employees, 10 employees, or 100 employees going out and doing each day? Being able to quantify that in a way that inspires and allows those, those people that believe and come into work every day with you and in the dreams of what your company is endeavoring to, to, to grow, to empower them to believe how they're serving a, a greater purpose too. To be able to share that story with their families, to share it with their neighbors, and ultimately build out what we're each doing, what we're collectively doing, and to be the catalyst to really spread that in the community. So everybody that participates in the Green City Foundation, whether it's with a project, whether it's through their own activities, whether it's adding their own green space, company or individual, through the satellite imagery, when you collect it, measure it, you have the opportunity to say, yes, I wanna add this green space to the Mission of Green City Foundation, that automatically makes you a supporter, a green supporter of the foundation. You, we will be able to see and be able to grow that community to see where in Markham we have really good participation. You know, maybe it's a project in Markham that's the catalyst. Maybe it's a, a contractor in Markham that's the catalyst. To have Markham one of the greenest cities in, in Ontario. But it's through those community building people to see how neighbors are participating, how people that are in the soccer group, moms and dads and kids and school groups and teachers, how they all believe they can participate. So it's intentionally designed to be at the consumer level. It's intentionally designed to be very applicable when it goes for launch this spring from a satellite imagery to not be super complicated, to not get into where trade is, but to get into the place where consumers, our customers and the general public, the influencers can participate to just understand X amount of tree canopy, whether it's sugar maples, oaks, it doesn't matter as much as how much tree canopy do you have in your backyard. The math is in averages is is very consistent across all species. Sure, certain species will perform at a higher level, certain age. There's all kinds of things as trade we see that, okay, those numbers are kind of general. But from a consumer, we just want them to engage and understand how canopy, understory, and ground cover combined make a significant difference. And we even want to take through the development of the tool in the next couple of years to work with vertical landscape. We can see buildings now in three-dimensional from satellites. So we're working with the, the, the team at Esri International who's helped us build out um, this calculator, the ability to start to measure what balconies could contribute. And imagine a city like Toronto that's got thousands of balconies that for the most part aren't planted. Um, how could we get all those planted? So this is a lot of really optimistic um, thinking. On the flip side, you know, do you hear objections? You know, what do what do you hear on the flip side? Um, you know, how do you, I guess, rebut people that that uh, rebut some of the things that you were talking about here? 
Well, part of it's intentional from climate adaptation and mitigation, we're starting on the positive side. We're trying to create the metrics and tools that our members don't have that share what the positive is. As businesses, as the service sector into um, our environments and our ecosystems in our city, yes, we have inputs like fertilizer, water. We utilize equipment and fossil fuels. Um, we reshape landscapes and rebuild and we move products and dirt and soils and, and things around uh, cities to allow plants to survive in these built ecosystems. So yeah, there's a carbon in, input to everything we do, which contributes to our carbon footprint, mm-hmm. but arguably so does everything else in society. Can we be better? Can we have best-in-class efficiencies? Sure we can. But more importantly, what differentiates us is the carbon capture side of the equation. Everything we do to protect, nurture, and grow landscapes contributes positively to that side of the equation. So what is that side of the equation? How can we maximize that side of the equation while using best-in-class efficiencies on our carbon emission side? I didn't want the conversation to be embedded in how we're the same as everybody, but how are we different than everybody? The, the best case point I use often is this is a story of how the Tesla Corporation grew to the size that they are, how they've dominated the electric car space, how they've been the leader in net zero transportation. But the Tesla car is still a car. Arguably, it's more efficient and uses less carbon from a fuel source, and Canada being a much cleaner energy source country than most around the world. The Tesla car outperforms the traditional, the big three automakers who dominated the Canadian transportation space for centuries. Um, It's still, at the end of the day, the Tesla car does not capture any carbon. Um, So if things like that can have such a positive impact on our environment, society, and have so many people participating in it because it's marginally better than the alternative, I believe our story with the power of capture is leaps and bounds ahead of the objections. Do we need to have them? Do we need to understand what we're doing to mitigate our emissions? 100%. Can we be better at it? We can always strive to be better. But we truly need to understand how the inputs, the things that support life and urban ecosystems like water, nurturance, and care, how do those things contribute to carbon capture and sequestration and production of clean air, the reduction of heat in our cities, the reduction of our pollution in our cities, and the benefit of the population. So contrary to what the United Nations is telling us, that more Canadians, more people around the world that live in cities are dying from the ill health effects of poor air quality, respiratory illness, and heart attacks attributed to heat and, and heat island and heat waves that, that we've seen in North even in developed countries like North America have had significant impacts on populations when the extremes happen in those. So how do we get how do we get more professional starting on the professional level, more landscape professionals to really uh, buy in to this message to you know, spread that message to their networks, to their staff, to their clients. How do we get uh, this message out there further? The first piece I would ask, and, and I've been working with you, Scott, so we, we've had this conversation lots over the years. A big part of it is our network of, as said, two and a half thousand landscape professionals in Ontario and the hundreds of thousands of people that, that get up every morning to 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 positively impact what landscapes bring to cities from the farm through the retail all the way through to design build maintenance to visit the green city foundation to get involved with the green city foundation um, and it doesn't need to be at a monetary level it doesn't necessarily even need to be at a project level 
at first and foremost, how is your how is your activities within this? the cities that you operate in having a positive impact. Understand your own story. Utilize the tools within the Green City Foundation to understand what your team, what your ability is contributing to the environments that you operate in. And encourage your customers to understand it. Encourage your employees to get up every morning and say, you know what, today my work contributed to the benefit of 100, 200 people's quality of life. Not just the 25 properties they service, but the 200 people that lived in close proximity to those properties because those properties are investing in the solutions that make a difference in their community. And always try to encourage, like we talk about best in class business practices, a balance between hardscape and softscape. So while we can have patios and decks and things that arguably don't sequester carbon, if we're offsetting with enough green space, enough tree canopy, enough ground covers to support at least, at the very least, the family that's investing in the landscape, that's positive. If we can squeak a little bit more to that landscape to support one or two people in the outside neighborhood, or as we move closer and closer to high density neighborhoods like Toronto, Hamilton, London, where space is at a premium, that's gonna impact even more people. So the Green City Foundation focuses on inner city, it focuses on cities of high population density. Sure, we would support any project in a lower density, and we would hope all the cities in Canada remain at low density. But as we see our population growth projections, there's nothing to say Canada in the next 100 years won't be like every other major developed urban center in the world. And if we don't start now, what is the future going to look like? What's the reception when, when you're at things like the COP summits and, or you're meeting with um, you know, government officials here in Canada? What are you hearing from you know, policymakers, public policymakers, government officials? Are they getting this message? I think they're ex I think the first thing I get is what it's we started the conversation with there's that light bulb that goes off. I knew that. Can it be that simple? Then there's a certain excitement. I think the excitement's built more of one our ability to start to measure it. Two, our ability and our goal in everything that we're doing from our, our trade association through our foundations of public engagement to our conversations on global stage is how people can participate in such a positive way, in such an incremental way that isn't complicated and will collectively have an impact. So even at the global climate summits, there's a, there's a, a lot of kind of surprise as to why is the landscape horticulture sector here having meetings amongst the energy boards of the world, the transportation sectors, the, the infrastructure, the urban development, the planning, all these conversations about what does the future look like. And only in the last three years have I seen at a global level the notion after 26, again, each of these meetings, we just finished COP28, that means 28 climate meetings have happened under the United Nations leadership. 28 meetings in only the last three have really started to ask the question about how are we going to capture carbon, not just to focus on how are we going to stop emissions. And if plants aren't at the forefront of how are we going to capture carbon and how people can participate, that's where I believe the greatest missed opportunity will be. So a lot of people ask, why are we there? 
Um, and why are, why, how does all of this connect to our efforts in Canada? Well, part of it is it has to happen at grassroots level. It has to happen at our business level. It has to happen at the client level. But it also has to happen so that the world is looking at capturing the tools that are going to do it, that embrace plants, if it is going to be realized um, as an opportunity for this sector or any other sector to have a meaningful difference in the future. So how does a listener, you know, a landscape professional in Ontario or across Canada, you know, get involved in something like the Green Cities Foundation or their, or anything else for that matter that supports it? One is the website's super accessible. It, it, it just, just sign up for the, to be part of that community and you'll be kept up to speed. As the calculator comes live, you'll be the first one to know it goes live. Um, and then the team there and communication and project support will help any questions, especially as companies go through it. Again, my goal here at Landscape Ontario is to provide tools and resources through Landscape Ontario to understand how to participate. Um, and again, follow the podcast like this. I'm sure we're going to have more and more information as this comes to fruition. There's, it's always when you have big change like this, it's slow. It's to get people on board. Um, you need to see action and, and you need to see results. So the fact these conversations are starting to have such a positive uh, impact, I, I think is why we're starting to see greater participation in it. Even our government with the, the last election, um, they promised two billion trees to Canadians to make a difference in climate. Through our efforts in Ottawa and through our efforts th provincially, um, Landscape Ontario has been a big participant in the Two Billion Tree Program. We got a commitment from the federal government and Ministry of Natural Resources to allocate a significant portion of those trees to urban environments, not just to native habitat. That's a big difference. Um, there's still more work to be done. And as you can imagine, Ministry of Natural Resources predominantly not engaged in the urban space. That's not their level of expertise. We have the same conversations with Ministry of Environment and with Health Canada. That's not normally their space of engagement, but they're dealing head on with the repercussions of climate impact on populations from respiratory illness, a heart attacks from heat islands. So Health Canada knows very well what's going on, but are slow to pivot on how we can participate. And again, Landscape Ontario or the Canadian Nursery Landscape Association participating in Ottawa, we've historically had an audience with Agriculture Canada and with Employment Canada. To gain audience with Environment Canada, Natural Resources Canada, and with, with Public Health, that's a big deal. And a lot of times in your first couple of meetings, why are you asking for an audience? And then those light bulbs go off. That's why. We have the exact same experience when we participate in the COP summits. And now part of our goal is to build a coalition around the world to represent horticulture at those summits. So it's not just Landscape Ontario's members or Landscape Canada and the CNLA partners. They're telling that story. It's the global horticulture through our garden centers, through our growers, through our landscape community around the world that we can make a difference in the cities. We need to be at the table as part of this conversation. And we want to work with countries that that want to make a difference. And Canada has stood up on the global stage and says we want to, we want to be one of those countries. So again, this is where the opportunity is. It's going to take time to develop. Like like anything at that, any big change like that is going to take a little bit of time. But having participated the last more than 16 years, I definitely feel in the last four years the acceleration that's happening. Fantastic. So anything else we didn't touch on that uh, you'd like to mention now? I'm sure we'll be oh, there's so much talking to again in the future. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a, 
a huge topic. It's simple but complicated. Uh, I, I'm fascinated with the simplicity that I think we've been able to build with the model through the Green City Foundation. Mm-hmm. I think the ability for our members, our customers, our employees to engage and the inspiration, the hope that comes from it. Um, I think it connects with everything that is good for us, a problem for us, our shortage of labor, our relevance in the marketplace, um, the threats to the economy, where people are going to spend their dollars. I think all of these things get chucked off when we can move to a functional urban landscape that it's critical, as I always coin the phrase, our urban landscape is the lungs of our city. It is the future that we provide to the people that we care about and those that are around us, no different than protecting the food that we eat and the water that we drink. We need to embrace and protect the air we all breathe. So again, I, I take hope in, in learning from others. I, I remember a tagline that really amplifies, amplifies the, the notion around the lungs of a city being an urban landscape and the plants that are within it. The Ontario Lung Association, their government affairs team, gave me the business card uh, one day not that long ago. And on the bottom of his business card, it said, if you can't breathe, nothing else matters. And I see the power of food security and water security. And we as human beings take 10,000 breaths of air a day. And if those breaths of air a day are having a negative impact on our health and well-being, and at the same time have a negative impact on the well-being of the planet in the future, and plants can change that, I think there's an opportunity. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing and I hope to talk again on this topic soon. Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to catch new episodes every month.